Yeah, so we're looking at that passage, uh, Mark 16, uh, 1, 16 to 20. Uh, Jesus calls his disciples, and we're going to look at what discipleship is all about. Exciting? I love, love, love Mark's gospel. Um, it's like an, it reads like an action movie written by someone with ADHD, you know. <laughs> He's, uh, he loves words like immediately and as soon as and, you know, at once. Uh, and it really moves so quickly. It's, it's just so fast, so rapid fire. Um, he skips Jesus' birth and genealogy and just verse 14, he's already uh, into Jesus going around saying the kingdom of God has come near and calling disciples. So already in verses 14 to 20, he's calling his disciples in Mark's gospel. Here's a map of Galilee. Um, uh, I was there when I was 15, 45 years ago here. I almost showed a picture of me then, but I didn't. Uh, uh, it's, it's the north of Israel, next to the Sea of Galilee. Actually, the Sea of Galilee is like 21 k's high and like 11 k's wide. It's filled with clean, fresh water, so it has lots of fish. And back then, this whole region was very fertile and rich in life, lots of people. Uh, Jesus grew up in Nazareth to the southwest, and having faced temptation in the wilderness, do you notice on the, the movie that he walks all the way back from the desert all the way to Galilee by himself there and uh, starts announcing the kingdom of God has come near and uh, what all of human history has been building up to. It's like, you know, uh, an orchestra or a, or a symphony or a crescendo. Like, it's all been building up to this. The kingdom now is here, says Jesus, and it's coming in through me, and he's announcing that throughout Galilee. Uh, and he starts calling disciples, forming the nucleus of a new Israel. And um, so he's going to turn the world upside down through these guys that he's calling. And you'd think Jesus would go for the best of the best, right? Like for the cream of the crop, like he'd head for Jerusalem or somewhere uh, and get the best of the best the all-star team, but he doesn't. He heads to the north of the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is a place here uh, called the Triangle where Jesus goes. It's called the Triangle, a region framed by these three villages, Bethsaida, which is a fishing village of 700 people. Five of Jesus' disciples come from Bethsaida, Peter, Andrew, James, John and Philip. And then Chorazin, which is probably about 1,500 people, and then Capernaum, 1,500 people, which is where Jesus made his home base for two or three years as he was travelling around Galilee. Now, in Jesus' day, this area of the Triangle was a hotbed of fervour for the Old Testament scriptures. And the practice of discipleship was massive here, Right? Was mad. People would come from all over Israel and from all over the world to find a rabbi and be a disciple. They'd come to this region near the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Jesus goes. Next slide is a picture of this region. So let's go through this story. Verse 16, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon, who he later called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
Fishing was a thriving uh, industry in Galilee. First century historian Josephus says there were 330 fishing boats on the lake. Wow. And 16 ports around the edges of the lake, many of them named after the trade. So Bethsaida, for example, means house of fish. <laughs> uh, the fish were, were a staple diet for everyone in the Mediterranean area, not meat. They'd eat meat only once a week, but fish every day. Freshwater fish from a lake like Galilee was a delicacy that was traded and exported everywhere. And Peter and his brother Andrew are running a lucrative fishing business um, and Jesus comes up to them, verse 17, come follow me. Now in that culture that meant come and be my disciple. Now a disciple is a follower or a student or a learner or the best word that we have for a disciple is an apprentice. Jesus is saying, come and be my disciple, follow me, learn from me, study under me and be my apprentice. And he continues, I will send you out to fish for people. Now, that can be translated, I will make you fishers of people. Fishers of people is an expression that was used all over the Mediterranean world uh, to talk about a great teacher. If you were a great teacher you had the ability to capture someone's mind and drag them into the truth. You're a good fisher of people. Fishers of people is also an expression used uh, in the Old Testament to talk about God calling people out of bondage, fishing them out of bondage into salvation. So Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, follow me and become a great teacher. Or, Andrew, follow me and help me fish people out of bondage into salvation. Which is why, in verse 18, at once they left their nets and followed him. If you were offered the chance to do something greater, like uh, Andrew and Peter, you'd drop everything and follow Jesus. And then, verse 19, he goes a little further up the beach. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing their nets. Later we'll find out that they're in business with Peter and Andrew. <clears throat> and after the morning fishing run, they'd have to clean and repair and fold their nets. And so James and John, at the end of the day, are preparing their nets for the next day's fishing. And verse 20, without delay, Jesus calls them, come, follow me, be my disciple, be my apprentice. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now this is huge. Business in the ancient world was passed down father to son, much as it is in most of the world today, sometimes for hundreds of years. Who knows how long the Zebedee family has been fishing in the Sea of Galilee? And their business is going really well. They have hired servants, so they're making money. James and John aren't poor. The Zebedee family's doing very well. But Jesus calls them, come and be my disciple. And just like Peter and Andrew, James and John drop everything walk out on their dad and follow Jesus into the unknown. Now, why would they do that? Uh, what would make four men walk out on a career, walk out on their family, walk out on a business and follow Jesus? Well, to make sense of this, we need to understand how education happened in Galilee at that time. In Jesus' day, there were three levels of education. Here they are. So this is how boys were educated in the Galilee area in the first century. First uh, level of education was called the house of the book. 
And this is basically a primary school, but they had an unusual textbook. Their textbook was the Old Testament Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And they, in this school, for all their primary school, basically what they did was they memorised Genesis through Deuteronomy. (laughs) So by age 12, Genesis through Deuteronomy memorised. Right? That was their education. And the vast majority of boys stopped at that point and went and then worked with their dad. And if your dad was a fisherman, you joined him as a fisherman. So most boys who were 13 years old were working with their fathers having done their education, which was in the law of Moses. Then if you were the best of the best, if you were a child prodigy, you moved on to the next level of education called the house of learning. You may have noticed on our website I've called one of the sections the house of learning. This is where I got it. Uh, This house of learning was at the synagogue and it's for Jewish boys over 13. You'd learn from a rabbi, or if, you, if your village couldn't afford a rabbi, you'd learn from a Pharisee or scribe, and you basically memorise all of the Old Testament. Uh, so if all went well, by age 14, you'd memorise Genesis to Malachi, the whole Old Testament. Uh, and that's uh, when you then graduated from that second-level school. And then you join your father in his trade. However, the top of the class, the top 0.01% would go to a third level of education. And this education, level of education was called discipleship. Now, this was really hard to get into. First, you would go and find a rabbi. You'd hang out with this rabbi. It wasn't hard. Galilee was a really good place to find a really good rabbi. As I said, people coming from all over the world to this area of Galilee... But you'd have to follow him around a bit and hang out with him and he would start to grill you with questions, interrogate you. How well do you know the Torah? Uh, What do you think of Rabbi so-and-so's interpretation of this or that? How well have you really memorised the whole of the Old Testament? Right. So he'd grill you and he would try and work out whether you had the intelligence, whether you had the dedication, whether you had the work ethic to become a rabbi in your own right, and to carry on the work of a rabbi. And then if he was satisfied that you were at the absolute elite peak level, then he would say, okay, come, follow me. Now, if that happened and it was rare, then your goal as a disciple of a rabbi, remember you're in the absolute top elite of Israel, If your goal when you became a disciple of a rabbi was, next slide, uh, firstly to learn your rabbi's yoke, which was a way of saying his set of teachings, his theology, his interpretation of the scriptures. Your goal was to know what he knows and to think how he thinks and to know every nook and cranny of the Old Testament like the back of your hand. You'd immerse yourself in the scriptures every day He'd teach you and you would soak up every word. Secondly, your goal was to become like your rabbi. The heart and soul of discipleship was imitation. It was to be like your rabbi, to copy his every move. So you'd live with your rabbi 24-7. You'd follow him around village to village, synagogue to synagogue. You'd uh, eat with him, you'd sleep near him. You would imitate his life. 
Your goal was to be like him. This is the heart and soul of discipleship. Thirdly and lastly, your goal was to carry on your rabbi's work in the world. And the whole point was one day to become a rabbi and do the same thing. And if you made it, if you were good enough, in time he would turn and say to you, okay, you're ready, go and make disciples. Right? Next slide. Now, what's so amazing about Jesus is that Peter and Andrew, they're not in the elite. They're not in the top point naught naught one percent They're not the best of the best. They haven't memorised the whole of the Old Testament. They don't know what every rabbi thinks about everything. Nothing like that. Uh, and we know that because they're fishing with their dad. In other words, they didn't go through to this higher level of called discipleship. They were ordinary, just average people. But Jesus says to them, follow me and be my disciple. That was unheard of. That is so upside down. A rabbi would never go to a disciple and say, come follow me. The disciples came to the rabbi. A disciple sought out a rabbi and tried to get the rabbi to be their rabbi. But Jesus does the exact reverse. He seeks out Peter, Andrew, James and John. Hey, I believe in you. I think you have what it takes to one day in time do what I do and carry on the work that I'm doing. So come and learn from me, apprentice under me, be my disciple. Have you ever had anybody believe in you? Uh, and it changed everything. I remember when I was 21, studying architecture, and the chaplain at the University of New South Wales came up to me one day and said, I want you to be my apprentice for two or three years. Leave architecture, I will make you an architect of people. <laughs> uh, and he, he put me in leadership. He put me in the deep end. He put me on the staff. He got me up preaching. He put me in charge of two residential colleges that I had to evangelise. One of them was Jewish, so that was tricky. Uh, and I put me leading music. He, he let me do all kinds of wild and crazy things, like do concerts all over the place uh, and do all sorts of artwork. And you name it, he gave me rope. He, he let me do things. Now, I lost touch with him, and 30 years later, I meet up with him and have a cup of coffee. This is exciting. Lots of water had gone under the bridge. Decades of ministry. Our ministry at the University of Newcastle, and eventually... The journey with Soma and all that had happened and I told him all about it and he said, I knew you'd come good. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> you know, and it turns out he really believed in me. Way back then he saw my potential, he backed me, he gave me a chance and it was a huge turning point in my life. Many people didn't think I had, had what it took but he did and he put his time and effort into me, developed me, cared for me trained me. And without him, I don't know where I'd be today. Um, and that experience of being called by him really shaped me and formed me. And that's still percolating through my life even now. It's so, so important what he did for me. Uh, and it's like that somebody that I looked up to, that I deeply respected, actually believed in me and said, listen, I want you to be involved in this really important stuff and I'll train you to do it. Now, maybe you've had an experience like that in your life. Maybe you have had the ex exact opposite of that experience. Maybe your whole life you've been told you're a failure. 
Maybe your father said, you won't amount to anything. You are a disappointment. Maybe that's just been ground into you since you were a little kid. But the reality is your father in heaven, the God who made the world, the God that you and I follow, believes in you. Now, don't understand, misunderstand me. This isn't a self-help shot in the arm. Oh, God believes in you. Believe in yourself. You're a winner. You know, uh, I don't mean it in that way. Uh, probably you're not a winner, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, so I don't mean it like that. Um, but Jesus believes in God's call on your life. Jesus believes that, you, that you've been created for something very important. He's created you to do stuff and equipped you to do it. And Jesus believes that with the help of the Holy Spirit, the ultimate disclaimer, right? With the help of the Holy Spirit, you're capable of extraordinary things to the extent that you can actually become like Jesus and carry on his vision for the world. Amazing. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go out and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So this is a crazy upside-down kingdom where God in Jesus chooses you, the middle of the curve. You're not the cream of the crop. No offence. <laughs> but he chose you and he said, listen, I believe in you when the rest of the world doesn't and I believe in God's call on your life. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus today? We don't live in first century Galilee. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in today's world? Exactly the same thing. Next slide. It means these three things. Firstly, to learn Jesus' teachings. <clears throat> That's why we're going through Mark's gospel. Uh, it's important that we know at least one gospel thoroughly, and we're going through slowly and thoroughly, so that we really are steeped in a gospel of Jesus. It's important and it's important to know all the scriptures and how Jesus interprets all of the scriptures. Make it your goal to know as much of the scriptures as you can. This is what it means to be a disciple. Learn from him. Study. Think. Probe. Listen to podcasts. Love God with your mind. Flood your imagination with Jesus', Jesus kingdom vision. Saturate your thought life with Jesus' teachings. Immerse yourself in the gospel. But don't stop there. Secondly, our goal is to become like our rabbi Jesus, to follow Jesus around, to study his every move, to learn to think like Jesus thinks, to talk like Jesus talks, to love like Jesus loves, to forgive like Jesus forgives, to be generous like Jesus is generous, to work hard like Jesus works hard, to live like Jesus lives. That's our goal. Writer Dallas Willard says... A disciple is anyone whose ultimate goal is to live as Jesus would live if he were in their situation. As a disciple of Jesus, we're always thinking, how would Jesus live in my situation? If he was a lawyer or a stay-at-home mum or an accountant or, I don't know, an artist, if he faced the moral dilemma I'm facing in the office, if he was dating this girl or if he was preparing for marriage, Whatever you're doing in your life, if he was at school, whatever you are in in your life, to ask this question, this is our goal, this is our ultimate passion, to ask, what would Jesus be doing in my situation? Hey, you know, that would be a great idea for a bracelet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Um, so that's the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means my brain becomes hardwired 24-7 in every conversation, in every decision, in every situation, in every budget bottom line. How would Jesus handle this? Uh, what would it look like to be Jesus in this moment? Discipleship is about imitating Jesus. If you're a parent, you know that your kids learn by copying you, or for better or worse. Uh, it's like, where did, you, where did you get that from? Oh, from me. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, so Ro, you know, he looks a bit like me, yeah, or we, you know. Uh, you can see it. Uh, his DNA is in him, and uh, he thinks like me. Anita says he sighs like me, right? Uh, this is interesting. And he plays guitar like me, but you've probably never seen me play guitar. Uh, but he does. Uh, same sort of rhythmic kind of feel to it. So, hey, wow, he's like me. Yeah, right? Um, he's wired like me. And people should be able to tell that we follow Jesus because we're wired like him. Uh, his DNA is in us because we've lived with him we've, and we've spent our life learning from him. So they ought to see that we're Jesus' follower, not from a tattoo, not from a you know, cross around the neck or whatever, but from how we live, how we talk, the kind of people we are. Not that we're to be clones, right? We're not, it's not about that. In fact, we find ourselves truly when we are imitating Jesus and becoming more like him. And that happens as we hang out with Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We learn about Jesus, then imitate him as we read about him. And it happens through prayer. Prayer is crucial. As we open up our life to the Holy Spirit, uh, as Jesus' Spirit will do his work in us, and, and without that we can't do it. Uh, so this is both and. We open our lives up to the Holy Spirit through prayer, but we also intentionally pursue imitating Jesus in every moment. Um, Every day we're reading the scriptures going, okay, how am I going to live like Jesus today in this situation, that situation? It's a very intentional pursuit. That's what discipleship means. But it's also this spiritual opening of up, up of myself to the powers of the Holy Spirit as he helps me and transforms me into Jesus, into becoming like Jesus. So this is our goal, our agenda as we wake up each morning. All right, prayer. I want to be like Jesus today. All right, I'm going to pursue that intentionally. This is what it is to be a disciple. And then lastly, to carry on Jesus' work in the world. Jesus says, I will send you out to fish for people. The idea of being sent out is another way of talking about mission. Actually, the word mission is just the Latin word for sent out, um, missio. So the whole point of being a disciple is to one day be sent to carry on our rabbi's work that's why the last thing Jesus says, his closing line is, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Pass on what you've learnt from me to others. And guess what? I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. That's Jesus' way of saying, okay, you're ready. It's time. Go. Make disciples. Carry on my kingdom vision for the world. Next slide. So in 2000 years, the invitation of Jesus hasn't changed. It's the same. Come, follow me, be my disciple, be my student, learn from me, learn everything I have to teach you, apprentice under me and put it into practice. 
Actually, there are two groups of people in Mark's Gospel, the crowds and the disciples. The crowds are massive. uh, And most people in the crowds believe that Jesus is from God in some sense. And they show up on a semi-regular basis for Jesus' teaching, his healings, his exorcisms and free food. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people in these crowds that follow Jesus around. But the number of disciples is quite a lot smaller. There's more than just the 12 disciples. There's a whole group of disciples. Uh, By the time you get to Acts chapter 2, though, there's only 120 in the upper room. There might be more disciples back in Galilee, but it's not a large group. And this distinction between the massive crowds and the few disciples is a literary device Mark uses. It's a way of saying to us, where are you? Are you a face in the crowd or are you my disciple? That's what we should be asking every time we go through every story from now on in Mark's gospel. Where am I? Am I just a face in the crowd? I believe at one level, I'm here, I'm turning up, but I'm not a disciple or I am a disciple. I actually have taken the step to become an apprentice of Jesus who is actively pursuing the things that I've just said. Maybe you're like the crowd, you believe something. You're at church semi-regularly. You give money now and then and you serve a bit and that's great. But that's not all that God wants for you. There's so much more. There's so much more. If your passion is not, one, to learn the scriptures from Jesus, two, to become like Jesus, and three, to carry on Jesus' kingdom vision for the world, if that's not what's driving you every day, Whatever you do, whether you're a teacher, a student, a teenager, a professional, a barista, whatever you do, if that's not what's driving you forward, then you're not a disciple of Jesus. You're a face in the crowd, but you don't have to stay that way. (laughs) Later in Mark's Gospel, Jesus says he calls the crowd to him. And along with his his disciples, he says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And we read that, just deny ourselves. Oh, wow, that sounds brutal. It is brutal. But don't skip over what Jesus has just said. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple. Discipleship in the first century was not for whoever... It was only for the prodigy. It was only for the genius. It was only for the intellectual. It was only for the all-stars. But not so with Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple can be my disciple. And yeah, that means that we're going to have to give stuff away. We're going to have to deny ourselves. There are nets that we're going to have to drop. I don't know what that will mean for you, Uh, the guys in the story have to leave their business, their family at one level, a career. Uh, I don't know what it is for you. It's going to be different things for different people. But you're going to have to drop something. But you can do that. The opportunity is there to, to make this step. You are invited. Every last one of us here is invited to be Jesus' disciple. And he says, learn from me, study under me, get deep into my word. 
Apprentice under me, devote your life to three simple and easy to understand things. Learn Jesus' teaching, devote, become like Jesus, carry on Jesus' kingdom vision for the world. That's it. No matter where you're from and who you are, the invitation is to come, follow me.